the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. When we're in the middle of tumultuous times and when things have gotten so crazy, so unhinged, that you almost can't even catch your breath. It's 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 good to have voices of reason and and uh, you know Newt Gingrich's podcast is called Newt's World. I am so glad to be part of a world that Newt Gingrich is in because I often turn to him for for some wisdom, for some some common sense. Because what what a time we're in the middle of. Uh, of course, the former Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, Mr. Speaker, we're beyond insane. We've passed crazy. We're down the rabbit hole. We're beyond the looking glass, point of no return, is all of the insanity we're witnessing from the left, from the Democrats, from court packing, making D.C. a state, calling cops, life-saving cops like the guy in Columbus, a racist. Is there going to be a political backlash to all of this, or are we sort of uh, doomed? Well, I mean, my hunch is there'll be a huge political backlash. Uh, the last two times the Democrats did this, in uh, 1994, we picked up for 54 seats. And in um, 2010, uh, we picked up 63 seats. So the odds are very high that uh, Kevin McCarthy is the next Speaker of the House. Uh, but it's been, it's been very impressive to watch Nancy Pelosi run a machine, which has a very narrow margin. And she is getting uh, 50, 60, 70 members to walk the plank and to do things that are crazy. Uh, and they're going to get them beat. Uh, she did this last time in 2010, and they did get beat. Uh, but she survived it. And you know, she's very good at running a machine. On the other hand, Biden and Harris are crazy. I mean, uh, this is the most anti-American uh, administration li- literally in our history. And the other night, to me, was the final straw when you had a jury uh, reach a verdict uh, which was actually the verdict that Harris and Biden wanted. Uh, but more importantly, you had the process work. You, you had a, a white policeman who was tried by a jury of his peers, who was tried in a court of law out in the open, uh, televised, uh, the opposite of Venezuela or Cuba or Iran or Russia or China. You had a great opportunity for the president of the United States to go out and say, the system works. And instead, the two of them went out there and made an anti-American set of speeches uh, talking about institutional racism uh, and basically uh, using every Chinese Communist Party talking point. Uh, if we, in fact, we have uh, an, an article going out today where we went back, uh, Claire Christensen and I, and we looked at what the Chinese had said in the meeting in Anchorage about two weeks ago. And, you know, they don't need a propaganda office. They just need to put uh, Biden and Harris on TV uh, and let them attack America. It is really, truly the most anti-American administration in our history. And I think it's going to be a real fight over the next three and a half years because the amount of damage they're going to do to this country will be 
uh, breathtaking and very, very dangerous. I'm so glad you you have you were you've expressed the same reaction that millions of us had to Biden and Harris's speech after the Derek Chauvin verdict, because it's almost as if people couldn't comprehend. We're watching the president and the vice president of the United States tear down the country that they're the president and the vice president of. Say that we are a systemically racist country. I mean, Newt, how do you, how would you get out of bed from the residents in, 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 at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and and hate the country that much? I mean, are these, I sort of believe these are really Kamala Harris's views. Is this really how Joe Biden believes? Yeah, I think it is. I, th- I think what we're finding out is that the real Joe Biden has always been a radical leftist, uh, that he has always uh, wanted to be admired by the hard left. And, and you know, what, what, let me put this in a very personal perspective. Joe Biden served two terms with an African-American president, Barack right. Obama. Right. Kamala Harris, who, who is part African descent, part Asian descent, was elected by the people of California to be attorney general, was elected by the people of California to be a U.S. senator, and then was elected to be the vice president of the United States. Now, how do two people with that background, I mean, how do they have the gall to stand there and say, this is a systemically racist country? Uh, When, by the way, you have places like China, where the Uyghurs are literally at risk of genocide by the Chinese, where the Tibetan Buddhists are being... uh, destroyed as a culture by the Chinese, where the people who love freedom in Hong Kong are being suppressed by the Chinese dictatorship. And we end up in a meeting in Alaska. If you want to see the opposite of Trump's America first policy and Biden's America last policy, uh, we end up in uh, Alaska with the Chinese foreign minister lecturing the Americans about the fact that uh, where institutional racism is so bad that they can't really contemplate listening to us tell them about their weaknesses. And then you have the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, tweets last night that, or the day before yesterday, about institutional racism in America, as though he hadn't understood that the Chinese would use this all over the world. Right. And that's what's happening. All of the Chinese, in fact, I thought about doing a, a comedy skit in which we have three or four people in a Chinese propaganda office, and uh, they, and they're saying, you know, uh, we we may become unemployed because uh, when Xi Jinping all he has to do is take tapes of Biden and Harris, they don't need us anymore. Right. I mean, not, that's how bad it is. It's. I mean, it's. It, and and at the very least, to take your point about uh, uh, Barack Obama and Kamala Harris, it would be worth searching to see if we've ever heard any of them, Biden, Pelosi. Harris, Barack Obama, ever even acknowledge how enlightened we are as a country that we had, we've had eight years of an African-American president, that we have a woman of color as vice president. In other words, has there ever even been an acknowledgement of what that means? I don't think they've ever well, done I, it. No, no, ironically, and I'm going to write about this probably next week, um, I've I asked uh, Claire to go back and look at Obama's uh, speech in Philadelphia in, uh, I think it's in March of 2008, when uh, the uh, the Reverend Wright problem of him being so viciously anti-American 
had begun to threaten the Obama candidacy because he was still in a fight for the nomination with Hillary. Uh, and she was shocked. I mean, she, she came back and said she couldn't believe how much the Democrats' language on race had changed in the last right. 13 years. And ironically changed while they had a black uh, president of the United States. Right. Uh, right. But but they literally went, went back into, the, you know, Obama is a unifier. Uh, you know, he's bringing us together. He represents real change. Uh, and it turned out that uh, that all went sour somewhere. Uh, and the, the language that's used today by Democrats uh, is radically more anti-American and radically more racist. That's the other thing we have to talk about. Yes. This whole thing about institutional racism is being said by racists. These are racists. And yesterday, for example, the U.S. Senate, the Democrats, blocked an amendment that would have cut off aid, federal aid, to any university or college which discriminated against Asian Americans. Uh, and, and they don't, you know, the Democrats today don't see you as an individual. They see you as part of a uh, group. Uh, right. The group could be sexually defined. It could be racially defined. But it's it's no longer you as a person. No, it's no. now you as part of some kind of group, which is antithetical to what we are as a country, which is antithetical to what it means to be an American. I hope, Mr. Speaker, you've heard of the uh, the speech that Lieutenant Governor uh, of North Carolina Mark Robinson gave about the issue of voter integrity. Have you heard of uh, heard about this guy and his? his I, have, I have. Wow, he, I mean, he's a I, remarkable leader. I mean, he's he's somebody who is going to really, I think, bring the country back together. And he's somebody who has the credentials to stand up toe to toe uh, with people like Harris and Biden, uh, and and frankly uh, defeat them. Well, I mean, he's the he stood there and said, "You're going to tell me as you're a Democrat saying that Black Americans need Stacey Abrams to speak for them. You you're going to tell me that Black Americans don't have the wherewithal to get a free ID so that when they cast their ballot." We are who we say we are as Americans. I mean, the attack against your state, your state of Georgia, over the Georgia voter integrity law, has been so despicable and over the top, and and none of it based in any truth. <clears throat> Look, Democrats believe that if you have to lie to make the narrative work, lie to make the narrative work. Right, right. Uh, and they had, you know, and, and let's let's be clear. Stacey Abrams does not speak for the black community. Stacey Abrams is the, the paid spokesperson for white radicals. Uh, that's where she raises her money. That's what her base of survival is. Uh, and uh, ju just as both of the Democratic candidates for the U.S. Senate in Georgia raised their money in Hollywood and in New York much more than they did in Georgia. Right. Uh, so you're, you're faced with a reality here that you have people who are part of a radical view of America uh, who then speak on behalf of people they don't actually represent. Uh, and I think that's part of what we have to deal with here. Uh, in the case of the Georgia law, uh, one of the more despicable things that, that Joe Biden did uh, was he talked about it as a Jim Crow law. And he said, imagine they, they won't even allow you to have water in Georgia in August <laughs> when it's hot. That was a plain lie. He Bald knew it was life. a lie. He yep. went back and repeated it time and again. I mean, I think he said it over six or seven days when people openly publicly were saying that is just plain not true. Right. Now, it tells you how how weak their case is. They can't win an honest argument. They have to go out and they have to, I think, engage in these kind of lies. 
uh, because if they tell the truth, they're going to lose. Well, the word I use is desperation. And it seems to me that whether it's making D.C. a state or packing the court, these are all tactics of a desperate party that seem to know what's coming in 2022. Do you see it the same way when you talk about the next three years? What you talk about the damage Absolutely. that can be done, but but they are they are afraid right now, right? Well, they are. Look, I, I think there are two things going on. I think there are uh, just the natural evolution of the hard left, so that uh, you know you you are going to get a much um, much nicer welcome if you are a, a secular transsexual than you are if you're a heterosexual Christian or Jew or or for that matter Muslim. I mean, the fact is, this, this is a remarkable thing. And that's just the natural emergence. They won the election. They get to bring in their team. Their team happens to be crazy, uh, but it is their team. And that, that's a legitimate part of what they're doing. The, the pressure to move so quickly, I think, comes from this, this deep instinctive sense that they won an election by a fluke, that they will not be able to win in 2022. In fact, they're likely to get annihilated in 2022. And so, and after that, they won't, you know, if you have Speaker McCarthy, they're not going to get anything they want on the hard left. Uh, And so this is their one shot. And if they can't, you know, if they can't profoundly remake America in the next 18 months, uh, then uh, they will have lost. And I think this time, as we, as people see them and understand how deeply dishonest they are, I think that it actually makes it harder uh, for them to, to, to come back. And I think the goal of conservatives should be to, to morally and psychologically uh, and, and uh, linguistically defeat the left so decisively that they don't come back for at least two generations, uh, because they're now, they're now showing us who they really are, and who, who they really are is so anti-American and uh, so dishonest that I think we have a real chance here to, uh, to push back in a very hard way. We sure do. Gingrich360.com for all things Newt. Gingrich360.com or Get Newt's World, uh, the podcast that is uh, a must, must, must listen. Uh, Newt, thank you. Th- keep fighting the good great. fight. We need Always your voice more than ever. You. Always great to be with you. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. The editorial board of the Los Angeles Times has put forward a horrifyingly honest argument about abortion. The headline it ran was this, the right to an abortion means the right to have it for any reason. They intend for abortion to be available for any reason at any time or for no reason. Their focus was a law passed in 2017 by the legislature in Ohio, a law that seeks to prevent abortion on the grounds that the unborn baby has been diagnosed with Down syndrome. The editorial board of the Los Angeles Times is saying that it is wrong to try to protect unborn babies that are diagnosed with Down syndrome by such a law. Why is it wrong? Because, says the editorial board, it interferes with what is a greater good than human dignity in the womb. And that means a woman's absolute autonomy. And what the paper claims is her constitutional right to destroy the life within her. Like I said, this editorial is honest. It's also horrifying. I'm Albert Moeller. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.